This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Good morning. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey. I am the editor-at-large with Mississippi Today. March is National Women's History Month, so all month long, we are highlighting stories of phenomenal Mississippi women. God, there's so many of them, too. Our phenomenal woman this week is Director Emerita and Cultural Entrepreneur, Sitha Shirvasan. Gosh, I got so close. She's, she's looking at me right now. We'll get that straight. But anyway, we're going to talk with her and with Craig Grill, who's the director of University Press of Mississippi. Plus, we'll talk with Sitha about her journey at the University Press and Craig about their 50th anniversary and the future of the organization. Man, the publishing industry has changed so much. This is going to be a great conversation. If you'd like to be part of our conversation today, give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or you can email me at marshall at mpbonline.org. And we're going to welcome Sitha and Craig in just a second, but it's time for our top stories in the weekly roundup and Michelle's phenomenal Mississippi Woman Spotlight. And i got to tell you, today is a bumpy day. Um, today, for those of you who might be listening on the podcast, this is the day that the stock market really dropped on, on Monday because of fears around the coronavirus and because of the severe uh, turmoil in the oil market. So that's what's going on. Um, I do not know what it's going to do for the rest of the day, uh, but it did open up with an 1,800-point loss, which is huge. But the good news is, obviously, we are still here. We are still breathing. And if you're having any anxiety today over all this stuff, I got three quick tips for you. Number one, take deep breaths. That's good. Look around. Describe to yourself what you see. If the room is not on fire, well, you're okay. Uh, If it is on fire, ground your get out of there, of course, but otherwise just ground yourself. You're okay. Number two, watch something funny and make some bad jokes. Humor's a miracle worker. Believe me, it got me through cancer. I can tell you, uh, making bad jokes is important. And number three, find a way to help someone else, and that gets you out of your own head, and it opens up your heart to others. And um, I think that's probably the best thing to do right now is just take a deep breath, evaluate where we are, and we're going to be okay. And you're here listening to this show, and I think by the end of it, you're going to be pretty darn inspired, so it'll be good. Michelle, how are you today? I'm wonderful. I'm wonderful. And speaking of inspiring, uh, of course, we try to inspire people every Monday here on Now You're Talking with phenomenal people. Craig and uh, see there's here to talk about their journey and things that they've done, but, you know, it helps inspire someone else who's thinking about getting in the business or uh, doing whatever. They can hear other people talk about their obstacles and challenges and how they made it through. Love to do that every Monday and every day here at MPB Think Radio. Had a great weekend. How was your weekend? Oh, it was fantastic. Um, You know, I... Thursday night, I spoke in Leland, Mississippi, and to the chamber up there. What a great bunch of folks. You talk about a really neat little town. That's where Jim Henson's from, yes. of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, they've got a lot of good things going. I was able to, to go up there and talk a little bit about hope and change and talk about a little bit about Mississippi today, where I work, and they were interested in that, too. Then I went home, drove back to, to the bed, the Ramsey bed, got up the next morning, drove to the Grand, which is at Point Clear, Alabama, and spoke to the University of Alabama's business school trustees about change and resilience and so forth. Talked a little bit about the media business, and so that was fun. And then I got up the next morning, and I drove to Monroe, Louisiana, uh, which was about a five-and-a-half-hour drive, and then saw my son run for about five minutes because he runs the mile, and then turned around and came back. So it was like, uh, I 
I've been in the car for a long time. And so yesterday I decided to rest by working all day. So wow. it was a great day. Great weekend. My mother's birthday was yesterday, and uh, we celebrated her yesterday. Mm-hmm. We had a great day. Went she was 29 and holding. Yes, 29 and holding. No, she's like me. She loves to talk about her age. So she loves to yell to, at the top of uh, a mountain. So she loves to talk about how... Um, better she's getting like she doesn't say older how better she's getting but in my woman's spotlight today i wanted since we have um university press of mississippi representatives here i wanted to shed light on eudora wealthy she's a wonderful woman she was a wonderful woman and uh, a, a, a real leader with writing and things like that in mississippi she was born in jackson mississippi on april 13th 19 19- and is considered one of the 20th century's most esteemed writers. And so talented, great photographer as well. And one of the really cool things when I moved to Mississippi, one of the things that drew me here was the fact that so many living great legends. writers were here mm-hmm. and legends were here. And I remember going to the old Jitney uh, grocery store uh, in, in, in her neighborhood and going there and shopping one day. And there she was just walking down the aisle, pushing her cart. And I'm just thinking, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. But she was such a, a pioneer and her, I mean, her books, but I mean, like I said, her photography, I love, for instance, and I've, I have drawn and painted the ruins of Windsor so many times, but her photography from back, back I guess it was back in the 30s. I, I, yeah, back in the 30s when she took that are just absolutely incredible because you have a sense of what it looked like back at that time. But she told she was a storyteller, both visually and being able to write. And I'm sure our guest today can give us countless stories about encounters with her. <laughs> Well, yes, because of they course. have. Speaking of photographs, they did. Fo- they one of my favorite books is one that they published yes. of Eudora's pho- yes. photographs. So. Love it, love it. Well, we'll take a break right now. And Sounds get like a deal. With them and talk about University Press and the next fifty years and a whole nine. I'm excited to hear about University Press and a little history because I'm I, I was unfamiliar with University Press and their history, but doing this show enlightened me into um, a lot of information that I didn't know. Oh, I tell you, there's a lot of University Presses out there, but we're very blessed in Mississippi to have one that's incredibly dynamic and actually world renowned. They do some incredible work. So once again, it's just another example of Mississippi talent going worldwide. It is, it is. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. You're now listening to Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. Hey, this is Malcolm White with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Every week, myself or one of my fellow hosts bring you in-depth interviews with different creative Mississippians. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcast app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. The information presented on this program is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult an appropriate professional for guidance about your concerns.
You're listening to Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey of Mississippi Today. University Press of Mississippi tells stories of scholarly and important issues that impact our state, our region, our nation, and world. And today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Director Emerita, Sitha Shurinat. Shurinat? Srinivasan. Thank you. (laughs) It's obviously going to be a theme today. You can get back at me for this and call me whatever you want to. Anyway, she's here. She's awesome. And Director Craig Gill is here as well. And he's also pretty awesome. So thank you all for coming in today. Well, thank you for having us on this show. I, I obviously am like three cups of coffee short this morning. I need to get a little bit more caffeine in me. Uh, Sita, I just wanted to say I've been a longtime fan of you. Um, I've gotten to know you professionally throughout the years. And um, congratulations on an incredible career that you had. You were there for 29 years, and uh, you still, you know, are out there helping shape the media landscape. And, of course, you and I have, I guess, a professional relationship as well because I serve Mississippi today as their editor-at-large, and you're on the board. So that's pretty cool. That is cool, and I'm very, uh, as you know, very happy to be on the board of Mississippi Today, which is our state's only uh, nonprofit, nonpartisan uh, news outlet, so online news outlet. So that's a great privilege for me. Well, thank you, because um, your experience and your knowledge is very definitely very helpful. Let's start with you a little bit. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Well, I was... I've lived in Mississippi since 1969. For the first few years, I, sto- I taught at Tougaloo College. And in 1979, I came to meet Barney McKee, who, is a dire- who at that time was the director of University Press of Mississippi. And I gave him some my credentials. In the meet- I had gone to the University of Florida and gotten a journalism degree. And uh, Barney just was a wonderfully open individual, and he said, I am going to hire you as the acquisitions editor in 1980. At that time, the press was not even 10 years old, and it did not have an in-house acquiring editor. And uh, Barney said, I'm going to do that, and I'm going to propose this to the board of directors. And uh, the board of directors went along with his recommendation, and in 1980, I was hired to for this position. And that was an incredibly lucky break for me because here I am, the quintessential outsider. I'm from Bangalore, India. And uh, Barney McKee and the editorial board of the University Press is taking a risk by hiring me to be the acquiring editor, which means I'm going to help shape the editorial program. In fact, not just help, but shape the editorial program of the press and also, in that way, shaped the image of the state of Mississippi because, after all, our books were being not so much at that time, but eventually they went on to be synonymous with the state of Mississippi. So that was an an incredible opportunity, and I feel very, as I said, blessed, if I can use that word, to have that these people took this chance on me. Sita, tell us a little bit about your childhood in India and how that shaped you, because I know that was a a very big part of why you're sitting here today. Well, yes, I come from a family of uh, academics, Mm -hmm. and uh, nothing other than excellence was uh, required and uh, demanded (laughs) of us. No pressure, right? No pressure, no pressure. But I had a a somewhat uh, traditional upbringing in that uh, in terms of my education, as I said, I was expected to excel. But my family was also a very open family, and we were uh, taught how to be uh, 
sensitive to others who were not of our community in ways that were very subtle. And it's only in retrospect I realize how my grandparents and my parents taught us about the value and the importance of diversity and being inclusive in our thinking, uh, characteristics that I think came to shape who I am and certainly helped me as in this long journey from Bangalore to University of California at Berkeley, where my husband was, and then, of course, to the uh, University Press of Mississippi, Tougaloo College first, and then to the University Press. So it's been an interesting journey, and I've learned lessons all along the way, and I hope that I have uh, contributed something along the way as well. Talk, uh, tell us a little bit about some of the most influential women in your life, because I know, obviously, that's made a big impact on you, too. Well, it has, and there are women in my family whom I think I should always uh, I have to start with, my certainly my uh, grandmother and my mother-in-law, who were women of uh, great uh, vision and uh, saw, felt that the women needed to be uh, supported in uh, every way, felt that they needed to have careers and, uh, and to be considered individuals in their own right. Uh, a traditional woman in India is always thought of in relationship to the men in her life, whereas these women encouraged us and my sister and myself to think of us as individuals, to be educated, have careers, and uh, to be to be our own people. And that was a powerful lesson. They were... They did not have that for themselves, but they realized the value of that and certainly encouraged us to be that way. You know, you're just kind of describing really quickly your, your travels to get here. And I had this image of from Indiana Jones, the airplane flying all around the globe. Did you ever think in a million years you'd end up in Jackson, Mississippi? No, never no. in a million years. <laughs> well, how did it happen? I mean, like you said, I understand how you got to, to, the, to the press, yeah. but how did it happen? How did you get to the States? Well, and, uh, well, I came to the States because I married a man who was, who was a graduate student at the University of California, as okay, I mentioned. Mm-hmm. And then I went to Mills College in Oakland, California. I got a master's degree there. We, gradu- we were close to graduating. I had graduated. My husband was close to graduating. And uh, there was a, we were looking for jobs. And Tougaloo College in uh, Jackson, at that time Tougaloo, beckoned. And we moved here in 1969. And I've told several, I tell people all the time, we never intended to live in Mississippi and certainly not and here I am 52 years later saying <laughs> I am a Mississippian by choice like a lot of Mississippians. That's right. But we did not start out to live here, bring up our children, and uh, and then that's a whole other story that, as you know, of my being here at the press and uh, – Living in the state. What did you What did you teach at Tougaloo? I taught English. You taught English, mm-hmm. and so did you ever somehow figure out that you go from being an English professor to having a career in publishing? No, I did not. And uh, I taught English, but I also taught, and this was transformative in my own life, African American literature, yeah. because of course I was in a, at a historically black university, publishing, and my colleague Craig Gill will tell you this is always nearly always called the accidental profession yeah. and it certainly was completely accidental in uh, my case as i said i showed up at barney's doorstep and uh, was you know subsequently hired to be the acquiring editor 
There was a little bit of fate and a little bit of luck, everything thrown into that, that gumbo. Of, that's right. All of those things that make life what it is. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It makes it wonderful. And that, yeah. number one, by the way, and, and we'll get this going here in a few minutes, mm-hmm. which the chemistry between you two is just fantastic. And I'm sure that was fun when you worked together. So you were the first acquisitions editor. And tell us what it was like. What was the press like? Because it was about 10 years old at that point. And, 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 you know, we're very unique here because you're not sitting right in the middle of a college campus. So you, you kind of have a little different. Uh, ability to do things, but it was a much different uh, organization than it is today, isn't it? Yes, it was. It was completely different. When I was hired in 1970, we were doing about 10 to 12 books a year. And uh, at that time, since there was no acquiring editor, the books that the press published all came from one of the eight university campuses. Okay. We, we represent all the state university campuses. And uh, as the acquiring editor, though, it was my responsibility to look beyond the our universities and see what kinds of books we could uh, attract to the press. And it was a very hard road to hoe, I will tell you that, to attract people to come and publish with Mississippi because... The state's uh, negative perceptions are widely held in in academia, and we had to work extremely hard to persuade people to that yes, you know, we are a viable press and we can do this. So initially, it was very tough going, and but you know, we persisted. We believed in ourselves, and I certainly believed in the mission of the press, and I had this vision that we. Just because we're Mississippi and somebody says no, we can't just take that for an answer and say, okay, we're just going to settle for for second best. And uh, one of the game-changing game books that we published early on uh, is actually a co-publication which we acquired from, we published with Macmillan in England. And it was a book by a, a scholar who went on to become really renowned. His name is Manning Marable, and that book mm-hmm. was called Race, Reform, and Rebellion. And uh, that brought attention to our press, and uh, we began to build as well on our core strength, which is Southern literature. Yeah. And uh, so we realized that, well, if we're going to go forward, we have to start where we are and move out from that. And so that was my uh, beginning vision for the press, and I certainly believe that we have moved out from the press to become worldwide, but our we still have our roots in Mississippi, and we still publish very good books about the state and the region, distinguished books, I should right. say. Right. I mean, Mississippi has such a strong brand when it comes to literature, and in, y'all have done a very good job owning that brand, and I think that's like a superpower almost. That is right. And both Southern literature, and I would also come back to African-American history, yeah. because after all, we are Mississippi, and uh, people used to be surprised by our very strong list. And this I have to say my connection with Tougaloo was very helpful because I came to know about African-American literature and the experience in ways that I might not have had otherwise. And I felt it was a very important part of the press's mission to have that uh, dual emphasis of both Southern literature and African-American studies. And from that, we have certainly grown out and we've branched into African music, uh, African American music, history, cultural studies, and the same thing with the Southern literature. We started publishing books in American literature, and I want to say that 
when we talk about Eudora Welty and William Faulkner or Elizabeth Spencer and Ellen Douglas and our many, many writers, they're not Southern writers. They just happen to be from the South. And just like now, I think of ourselves not as a Southern university press, but as a university press that happens to be in Jackson, Mississippi. But we do a very good job. You know, like, for instance, I was talking about the photo book by Eudora Welty mm-hmm. and how brilliant that is. But one of the, one of the authors that you published um, went on to become quite famous was Stephen Ambrose. Well, actually, he was pretty well, famous. He was pretty famous up at that right. point. Yeah, but right. to say the Eisenhower book was done a long, long time ago. So, That's yeah. Right. yeah. He was famous when we but that acquired. Was neat. But still, what, yeah. a, what a great thing to have him as part of under the umbrella. Oh, that was a wonderful uh, publishing experience. Yeah. And we had... Uh, uh, one way in which we attracted people to the press was to say, well, let us publish a collection of essays that you have already written. And so that becomes then, that person then becomes our author. Yeah. And uh, I thought, well, we can do this with Stephen Ambrose, and he was living in Bay St. Louis. That's now, right. This is an opportunity I can't afford to miss. And so I had proposed that we publish a collection of his essays, and he sent me a whole lot of essays, and then they really were, it was not a book. It just was not a book. They were all over the place. And I thought, he's in Bay St. Louis. Why don't I just go down there and see him? And I called. And he was very brusque. And he said, oh, well, okay, come on down. <laughs> and I went down to Bay St. Louis and went to his office. And he said, so what do you think? And I thought, well, Mr. Ambrose, these are great, but they're not a book. He said, so what do you want? And I told him that the, I was looking for essays that cohered, had some a definite point of view some uh, that I could bring some a degree of cohesion to and mm-hmm. he said all right so he leaned over and he handed he said, is this something like what you're thinking about and there's a book about a, a piece about Vicksburg a, a long piece in typescript is about the war in the civil war in at the time at the Vicksburg campaign and I thought gosh this is unpublished and I said do you have any more like this? And he said, yes. And he started giving me material, and I was just dumbfounded. And I said, and he said, just take what you want, use it, and just send the rest back. <laughs> and it was an amazing experience. And I yeah. drove back to Mississippi, to Jackson in complete trepidation, hoping I wouldn't be hit by a truck and have all this Ambrose material all over the highway. But that was a great experience and a wonderful book to have published. It's called Americans at War. We published it, and... Uh, Simon & Schuster went on to publish the paperback, which was a great financial coup, but also a coup for us in terms of recognition. But you just described what a good editor does. It helps creative people like myself sometimes focus and be able to take things and be able... So you, how long did it take you to develop that ability to be able to see content and say, you know, that's not going to work or no, that's going to really work? I think some of that is intuitive. I believe Craig Gill, my colleague, would yeah. agree with that yes. when we see... A project, we think there's potential here, or we think, no, we really don't think this is going to work. And I have one of the senior editors, when I first came to University Press, she told me, I I was talking with her, and she said, well, you know, you don't have to eat the whole apple to know it's bad. (laughs) (laughs) It seemed like good advice. That's uh, a good tattoo right right there. I think I may get right that on my arm. Absolutely. Definitely on that. Some of the biggest challenges you faced, and was it early on or later on? Or, I mean, obviously the business changing, right, is, you know, during your tenure, too. I think we had uh, several challenges, but I think one of our strengths and I think one of my... um, Abilities, I would like to think, is that I was able to evolve as the publishing world evolved, as trends in academia 
there were times when a book idea sounded like a, a great thing to do, and then you find, oh, it's not finding traction in the marketplace. So instead of persevering with what seemed like a good idea, we have to have the courage to drop it and then move on to something That's that, huge. that is huge. And that is, I think we have done that successfully at the uh, press, whether it comes uh, either in terms of the books we have published or in terms of the of technology. And one of the big uh, decisions that I had to make is in 2004, I decided that we would have to close our warehouse operation. Oh, wow. Our books are, were on uh, Gallatin Street. They were in a warehouse that flooded, and there was no climate control, and it was just a disaster. And it was also clear that the uh, fulfillment and shipping operations were getting extremely computerized, and we did not have the staff. We just couldn't scale up. So we decided we have to close the warehouse. It was a very tough decision, but it was a right decision. And and I've, all along, I have appreciated the support of our board. And when I said that this is what we want to do, the board said, great, do it. This is not you. I said, this is not our core competency yeah. and that allowed us to break loose from something, but have provide the service, but use a, an, out, an outside vendor to do it. Yeah, I was going to ask. And I mean, Craig, you can probably jump in on that, too. How do you do that now? Because, I mean, as somebody who's self-published some books, I know sometimes having a garage full of books can be, and shipping them can be the hardest part of it. Well, one of the most important things to understand is that we don't have a warehouse full of books in Jackson, just as Sita said. Yeah. So please don't drop by the office expecting <laughs> to pick up a dozen books. Uh, we have to explain that to authors a lot. Yeah. Um, and we used to. We used to. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. But it, it's all about centralization um, and, and about scale, as yeah. Sita said. So uh, we work with a company called Maple Distribution. They okay. actually have a warehouse in Pennsylvania. Right. But they're working with 20, 25 different publishers. So they've got a warehouse with millions and millions of yeah. books. And that's you've got to have a partner in, in, in this world. And they're able to do the things, whether it's a barcode on the, on the outside of the box that tells you exactly what's inside the box, uh, whether it's automated uh, you know, robots that can pick, pick the books off the shelves. The kinds of things that you can't do on your own. That's right. And also, you can, they can help find cheaper places to print and exactly. so forth. So that right. cuts costs also. Exactly. So yeah. we have multiple partners in terms of printing and in terms of distribution. And, of course, a huge thing, and we can talk about this later, is print-on-demand. Yeah. yeah. And you oh, know, definitely. You know about that as an author. Print-on-demand is, is how the majority of books are printed these days. It's right. all digital. Yeah. Uh, you're still getting a book, but the way the book is created is completely different than, than what it was 30 years ago. Definitely, definitely. We'll see the one quick uh, question before we go to break. Do you have any advice for aspiring entrepreneurs? Do I have advice? Yes. I think you have to be uh, creative, but also have a realistic uh, strategy for achieving that uh, vision. Uh, you have to have a vision and a realistic strategy for achieving that vision. You have to learn from your mistakes. You have to evolve, otherwise you're going to perish. Yes. And uh, I think team matters. You have yeah. to bring your team along with you. And you have to have the support of constituencies. We can't go this, do this alone. And I think I've already mentioned how supportive the editorial board of the press has been, our university presidents. We have had the really the good fortune to be able to cultivate supporters all in every arena that we work. And I, along those lines, I would like to add to something that Craig said. He mentioned the word partners. Yeah. Uh, university press has been very smart, I think, in developing partnerships. We have a partnership with MPB. We have a partnership with the Center for the Study of Southern Culture. 
with the Archives in History, with the Museum of Art, and with other like-minded uh, non-profits. And we have uh, co-partnered co uh, and distributed books, for instance, for the New Orleans Museum of Art and the Ogden Museum. So we seek to establish partnerships because we realize if we're going to succeed, the more uh, entities we have along with us, the better our chances. Amen. So if we're all rowing together, then we're going to get there a lot quicker. That's right. Exactly. Yes. We're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we'll continue speaking with our guest, Sita Shurnavasa. Shurnavasa. And I know, I know. We welcome. Get we'll get it before the end of the show. And welcome, Director of the University Press, Craig Gill. You've heard him a little bit already. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think eh, maybe i'll try it myself some jobs just aren't that difficult and yes you can do it if you want to find out how to do those things listen to fix it 101 podcast everywhere this is an mpb think radio podcast to hear previous shows visit mpbonline.org or download the mpb public radio app to listen on your iphone or android phone on demand Good morning. Listen, now you're talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey. Today, we've got a couple of great guests. I hope you've enjoyed the show so far. Director Emerita Sita Shuranas Shuranvasan. She, she, she's she, so you're close. There. <laughs> anyway, and of course, Director Craig Gill, which I, I probably will screw that up before the end of the day, too, <laughs> of the University <laughs> Press of Mississippi. Uh, we were talking a little bit about, of course, Sita's career, which has been, was incredible, and you're still out there. I mean, you didn't exactly slow down or quit when you retired, did you? No, I started doing different sorts of things, which, That's right. is, which has been my pleasure. But I have to say that the, my long career at the press has also meant I have long friendships Long time friends. And, and one my, of them sitting right across the table from that's you. That's right. And my colleagues became my friends, and I would like to think that's true of the uh, uh, university press staff. So, uh, yes, I have not slowed down, and I hope I can keep going. Well, I think you're going to. I, I have all expectations is you're going to keep going forever and ever um, and ever. I, I know to, you. I have to live up to your expectations now. Okay, very good. <laughs> I got to tell you, and just knowing a lot of the staff up there, it really is a family. Uh, Y'all really mm -hmm. have managed to pull that off. And, of course, Craig, um, Tell a little bit about you. How long, how long have you been with the press now? I was trying to do the math in my head. It's 22 years. Good so grief. I, it I, seems I, like you just got there. Well, no, I've yeah, been hanging around for a while. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, Sitha hired me in the fall of 1997. Yeah. And, uh, and so we've been here for 22 years, and it's been fantastic. Uh, now, I guess um, we need to be completely transparent and open and honest. Uh, you were married to one of our favorite people. Exactly Liz. right. So a few people listening may have heard of Liz Gill before. And, yes. Uh, Liz is my wife. And uh, we uh, we bought our home here in Jackson uh, uh, January 1, January 2nd, 1998. So, yeah, we've, we've both been here a while. How'd you get here? Uh, 
Well, I mean, obviously she called you up one day. Well, but. actually, I've been stalking the press for a little while. Um, <laughs> uh, do I need to be worried here? Uh, no, no, okay, no. Just checking. No, professionally stalking. Okay, yeah. Um, I was uh, working at the University Press of Kentucky. I've, okay. I've been in publishing for 30 years, since 1990. Okay. I've been at Northwestern, the University of Chicago, and then uh, we were at the University Press of Kentucky. Uh, which was a lovely place to be, but a place where we had no ties. We were right. just there for work. And uh, I had looked at presses in the South. Uh, Liz and I are both from Arkansas. We wanted okay. to be closer to home. Yes, I understand that one. And, uh, in fact, I had read a book called uh, Comic Books is History, published by the University Press of Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And I stopped by uh, the booth at one of the meetings where Seath and I were both at a conference together. And I said, this is a great book. Let me know if there's ever any <laughs> jobs in Mississippi. <laughs> and so we were paying attention to uh, you know Arkansas, Mississippi, uh, Texas, where we have family. Yeah. And uh, uh, Joanne Pritchard Morris retired, someone mm-hmm. else you may know here mm-hmm. in Jackson. And as Joanne was retiring, I was, uh, uh, I think Seetha reached out to me, but we had already established a bit of a connection prior to that. Yeah. Um, and as I say, Liz and I were looking to, to, to get closer to home, to come back to the south. Uh, come back to the central time zone. That's a thing that matters if you've ever lived in the eastern time zone. It's the devil's time. It's horrible. Uh, and so uh, we were excited. We were excited yeah. to come here. And now this is home. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All, all three of our kids have grown up here. None of them were born here, uh, so they don't count as Mississippians, depending upon who you're talking to. But when we moved here, they were one, three, and five, so they've all grown up. Jackson is home. They say that things like it's pank and, you know, yes. yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. you get the good southern accent uh, on there absolutely. anyway, so that counts. Yeah. As well, you were at the University of Press of Kentucky. Talk about how that, or in the other presses that you worked at, how it's different, they were different than where you are now. Well, it's... One of the things is that everything is different. Uh, yeah. You know, you, you mentioned this earlier, the, the, the ways in which publishing has changed are astonishing. Yes. Uh, so 30 years ago, I was a marketing assistant at Northwestern. And in many ways, computers and any sort of real computer systems were all still in their infancy. Right. Uh, now everything is digital. Um, so Northwestern was a very small press at the time. Chicago, where I was at for three years, was a huge press. It's a great place to learn a lot. Uh, Kentucky is, like Mississippi, a consortium press. They represent multiple universities, but they're on the University of Kentucky campus. So each of those places gave me a little bit of useful knowledge that I could use when I came to Mississippi. Uh, But the biggest difference, uh, and whether you're at Mississippi or anywhere, is, is technology. That is the single biggest difference across the board. You know, uh, just being part of the publishing business with newspapers, but then also trying to publish books and I'm nowhere near. But I understand it a little bit. Um, you know, I understand the difference. What, what a commercial print, you know, publishing company would do. What's the difference between a commercial publishing company and what a university press does? Well, there's in some ways we are very similar. But yeah. uh, the single biggest difference is that we have a scholarly mission. So we, right. we are a not for profit publisher. Uh, we're the largest publisher in the state of Mississippi. We're the only not-for-profit publisher. And we have a mission. We work with the universities. We work with, with scholars, with academics. Um, and that is a part of what we do. That's part of our DNA. Yeah. Um, at the same time, we are a regional publisher. We represent the people of Mississippi, the universities of Mississippi. So we have a mission that, that makes us separate from a commercial publisher. We're, we're responsible for... Uh, checking the quality of our work in a way that a commercial publisher isn't. Every every book that we publish goes to at least two outside experts for peer review. Um, And what that means is we're 
paying attention to the facts, to the right. quality of what we do. And, of course, the commercial publishers want to do that, but they don't have to do that. And they may not have the staff to do it either that's these exactly days. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. And and it's just not it's not a priority in the same way right. that it is for us as a university press. Now, where we operate in the same realm as the commercial publishers is that we are a small business. Right. So, you know, we're both a scholarly endeavor and a small business. And one of the great tricks that, that Sita perfected when she was the director and that I'm still working on is balancing that. Well, that's like Sita was talking about, getting rid of the, the warehouse, for instance. Exactly. And because, right. you know, like I said, in, in the newspaper business, they fell in love with the fact it was printed on paper. And, you know, before they realized that they were in trouble. But you all saw on the horizon, like, wait a minute, there are cheaper and better ways of doing this. And you made the business decision. So, And Craig talked about uh, nonprofits. Yes, we are nonprofit. But I was reminded a long time ago by a university press colleague, in fact, that it is only an IRS term. It's not. <laughs> That's right. It, it cannot be a business philosophy. Right. right. So we have to combine this smart academic uh, mission and regional mission along with sound management and good fiscal practices as well. And I think at the University Press, we have really been very attentive to all sides of the business. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you look at your catalog and you have some really wonderful deep dive academic uh, material. Right. But you, then, and, you know, Bill Dunlap, you, you, you publish right. Bill, which... Right. Don't, Bill, if you're listening, I apologize. I'm not insinuating you're not deep or anything, but but I'm saying you, you have a great mix of really stuff that maybe people wouldn't know about and then some stuff that are like, oh, yeah, Tony Morrison, that, right. that's incredible. Right. And so. we, we pay attention to marketing, and I will let Craig maybe say a few words about that, but we are very uh, smart at the way we get our books out into the, the bookstores yeah. and into the region, into the world. So, Craig, if you... Well, it, it's just what Sita said. You have to pay attention to marketing. You That's have right. to operate as a business. Um, we talk about being a not-for-profit. Uh, we do get uh, support from our universities, and about 14% of our budget comes okay. from those eight universities. Um, but everything else is book sales I mean, or, or rights sales. Yeah, and 14% was not enough to keep the lights on. So. Precisely. Right. So, yeah. right. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's absolutely critical that you know what the bookstores are doing. That, you know, we pay attention to, of course, Lemuria and Square and all of the great independent booksellers in Mississippi and around the Mm -hmm. country. But it matters when Borders went out of business during the last recession. That's right. Uh, It matters when a a wholesale company that the public doesn't know about is going out of business. Um, It matters that Barnes & Noble is restructuring right now. So we're paying attention to those business sides of of publishing and, and book selling. Um, and I should point out that it is still mostly book selling. Uh, you know, uh, ebooks are incredibly important, and we sell all of our content uh, through a variety of electronic platforms to libraries and to you know public libraries and university libraries. But around uh, ebooks have, platf- have, have hit, yeah. a, hit a, a little a, bit a of plateau. a plateau. Yeah, and uh, most people still like books. They do, and it's like I was. I think you and I were talking before the show started. And what I've discovered is like people like an event. They like a book sure. that is beautiful, that is well designed, that that feels good in the hand. The paper feels good. It's got, you know, and it's and and to your credit, the books that come out of Mississippi Press are pretty darn good. I mean, they, I mean, they they look like professional, really right. nice books. Right. And 
Well, because they are. Because they, they, <laughs> they are. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. I mean, there's nothing. But no, I just don't want anybody thinking for a second that y'all put out anything that, I mean, you can compete toe-to-toe with, with the big dogs. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Actually, I think we pay even more attention because that is part of our uh, mission, and that's yeah. part of our strategy to get people to publish with us. Yeah. Because if they say, oh, you all do books that not only read well and are scholarly sound in scholarship, but also look nice. Yeah. And I like to say that our designers are very thoughtful. And when you give them a manuscript, they're just not words on a page. They immediately begin to think, now how can I transmute this and transform this into a uh, into printed form where it's going to be most appealing to the readers? So right. There's a whole... There's an, a science and an art behind mm-hmm. what we do. Steve Yates, of course, has been on this show a few yeah. times. He, he does a lot of the marketing for That's you. That's right. Yeah, yeah. He's our marketing director. He does a wonderful job at that, too. Absolutely. So. And, and again, as you said, uh, events matter. Yeah. Uh, especially in Mississippi. When you're talking about a regional book, you know, uh, one of the fall books was the Mississippi Governor's Mansion. Yeah. Uh, beautiful illustrated book. It's, it's got all the features that you were just talking about. It's a gorgeous book. Yeah, and the paintings, the illustrations are really nice in it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, you know, you're an artist. You understand that mm-hmm. paper matters. You understand yes. that printing matters. And so we pay attention to those things. But then you want to make sure people know that there's an event, that right. there's a place, you know, whether it's at Lemuria or, or at the Governor's Mansion or wherever it may be, uh, getting that out to the public matters. And then to your earlier point, of course, the way you get it out is also completely different now, right? So you're advertising, but you're also advertising on social media. You're doing the things that MPB does, whether it's a podcast or Twitter uh, or Facebook. You know, I I, I see all of the things that you have out there in all these different platforms. A book publisher does the exact same thing. Exactly. Yeah, my cousin Dave Ramsey, he, he once told me, he said, you walk into a bookstore and he said, you look at a zillion books in there and you realize that bookstore doesn't sell books. And I said, what, what do you mean? That doesn't make sense. He said, no, 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 you sell books. Right. So if your book's in there, you're competing against all those books in there and you had better get out there and sell the book. And that's what Absolutely. y'all are doing. Absolutely. Definitely. Well, we're going to take our final break and we'll return. We'll wrap up our conversation with Seetha and Craig. So uh, they're with the University Press of Mississippi. Stay tuned. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. If you ever miss one of our locally produced shows or want to simply hear it again, you can find what you need at mpbonline.org or download our podcast app to your smartphone. MPB programming is on your schedule at mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. All right, welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey. We've got a couple great guests. We've got Sita. Go ahead, Sita. Say it for me. Oh, Srinivasan. There we go. Awesome. Very good. Director Emerita of the University Press of Mississippi. And Craig Gill, he's, he's here, too. He's a director. And um, we've been talking a lot about the show. Of course, if you have any questions or comments about anything they published or the publishing business or anything else, well, give us a call. The number is 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Uh, yeah, we were sitting there asking what the stock market was doing during the break. And at this point, we're just kind of like, well, let it go. 
it'll do what it'll do. We have no and control. During the break, when uh, Craig said that I'm not going to worry about it, I'm thinking long term, both with the endowment and my personal finance. I just want to say that is one thing that University Press has. We do have an endowment, yeah, we do. which not many presses have, and that's one thing I'm very proud of because when I was the director, I made that one of my uh, objectives to establish. We had a small endowment which came from a National Endowment for the Humanities Grant way back in 1970, 1987. And uh, when I took over, we had $100,000 in that uh, endowment fund but I made it a, a point to raise money for the press. And the, again, our board was very supportive of this uh, effort, and they saw the need for us to have a source of revenue that was not completely dependent on the market. And, of course, I say that with some irony right now <laughs> this morning. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. The other <laughs> market. The other right. market. The other market. Uh, and but- also uh, the university uh, contribution. So they were very supportive of that. And I have no idea what the value is. Right now, but in 2014, which is the last record I had, it was about 3.7 million. But mm-hmm. Craig will have a much more um, an updated figure on that. Uh, yeah, no, you're right on point. It was 3.77 million, and uh, of course that was before today. Yes, yeah. right. so we'll, <laughs> it's about we'll, a dollar we'll and a half see. today. Yeah, right. So after we'll, we'll wait, we'll wait and see. But you're right; it, it provides kind of a little bit of shock. It's like shock absorbers. Yes, right. That's yeah. Exactly so which right. is a, or this, it's a rainy day fund. Before that was cool. Yes, right. definitely. <laughs> uh, and it's it's raining today. Um, uh, but but you're right. As you're going through, the, and, I mean, and we're going to talk about the 50th anniversary here in just a second. But I mean, like I said, you see all the changes and everything. It seems like it's changing exponentially faster in the last 10 years than it did in the first 40. But it allows you to be able to have some breathing space to look around and say, okay, now let's try this or let's try this without having to chase commercial sales at a thousand miles an hour. That's exactly right. Yeah. That you and you've got to have that. And that's you know we we say it a lot and we've said it a lot today. The support of the universities, of the university presidents, that matters so much Mm -hmm. because that's the exact same thing. They understand that you're not – you cannot operate a business if you're constantly, desperately chasing after uh, everything. There there needs to be planning. There needs to be thoughtful Strategic to the extent that you can be strategic. Sita once said, you know, a five-year plan is ridiculous in publishing. It's three <laughs> years maybe, yeah. and now it's a one-year plan. Uh, <laughs> if you're lucky, right? That's what, so I told the group the last Friday, I said, I mean, if you're not reinventing yourself every six days, it yeah. seems like you're, you're running behind on that. Sita, talk about, obviously, uh, we've touched on this a little bit, about where the where the press was when you first got here to where it is today. Um did you ever think that it would get to be what well, you did? Because you kind of had it in your mind, a plan of where you wanted it to go. Right. I did have a vision and I had a plan. Yeah. But I also have to say that uh, I think that I, and with the press staff, I think we have succeeded more than I ever, better than I even thought that we would. And when I started out, as I said, we were publishing by 10 to 12 books a year. And of course, you know, the press started in 1970 with a budget of $25,000 and two, two <laughs> wow. staff members. Yep. And uh, now the and when I retired in 2008, we were doing about 65 to 70 books a year. Right. Wow. And our sales yeah. that year were about $2.3 million. And uh, Craig will give you some better numbers. So it has it grows and it uh, continues to grow, but it grows in smart ways. And I want to emphasize that it's not growth for the sake of growth. We seek strategic ways in which to grow. So, Craig, why don't you well, that's give exact, us an update? That's right. And so now we do about 85 new books a year. 
And uh, and I like to put this in context. So Setha mentioned, we were, as you mentioned, we're about to have our 50th anniversary. Yeah. Uh, the press started in 1970. We are now the, except for two presses, except for Duke and North Carolina, we're the largest university press in the Southeast. Wow! And that, a lot of those university presses had already existed for 50 years when we were founded. Yeah. You know, the press has grown consistently from decade to decade, and uh, looking at numbers for the 50th, uh, we added up all the books in the 1970s. The press published 88 books total in the 1970s, and we'll do 88 new books next year. That's incredible. And, and yeah. so, yeah, that that I think really points to something. Um, and it also points to the, the people that are at the press. Uh, we have 20 staff, 20 full-time staff members. We have several part-timers and several interns. Uh, proud to say that we've had interns from all of our eight universities, as well as the schools local here in mm-hmm. Jackson. We've got a great intern right now from Tougaloo. Um, and it's important to, you know, as we're building for the next 50 years, we all, we're also building the people. Yeah. Uh, a number of our full-time staff members, these wonderful young people, were interns at one point at the press. And so that's really exciting as well to see them develop, to see those things happening. In our remaining minute, uh, when I turn 50, i got to watch. So right. what, what are y'all doing to celebrate? Well, we've got uh, sales. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're celebrating with everybody. Go to the website. There's sales. Uh, we've got a, a big party going to happen uh, on May 1st. There's nice. going to be another big party with the book festival, another one of our and great. the book festival, wonderful. And yeah. That, yeah. yeah. And we love partnering with them. Yeah. And so, and then our book friends group is doing stuff throughout the year as well. So lots of, lots of opportunities. Go to the website. Right? The right. modern world. Go to the website. Check it out. See if any final thoughts. I would just like to mention two staff members. We talked about the press books being beautiful. Well, Todd Lape and Pete Halverson are yeah. big, long-time designers. We mentioned Steve Yates. And if I may, I would like to end with a quote okay. from the Nashville scene. And this is I'm going back now to October 1999. And it wrote an article. And I'm going to paraphrase it ever so slightly. It said, the pride of Southern University Presses, and I'm going to change that to say the pride of University Presses in the South, is located in Jackson, Mississippi, where in 1970, the state's eight universities agreed to launch a publishing concern with a $25,000 annual budget. Since then, the publisher has grown into a world-class home, a world-class house without abandoning its regional roots. And this was in 1999, and I just want to say how much truer is that of University Press today. Both of you are wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Marshall. I appreciate it. One can't wait to see what the next 50 years brings. All right. Well, that wraps us up for today. If you'd like to hear the show again on the past episodes, download our MPB public media app and listen on our podcast. Now you're talking to production of MPB Think Radio is produced by Michelle McAdoo. Stay tuned. Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit with Dr. Josie Bidwell is coming up. And join us next Monday for Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. Y'all have an awesome week.